Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. What's up, everybody? This is John Odermatt, the host of Felony Friday. And before we get rolling into today's show, I want to take a quick moment to talk about coffee. That's right, coffee. The Lions of Liberty, we have partnered up with Anarcho Coffee, and we are selling our very own coffee. It's called the Morning Roar. It is a medium dark roast that has cupping notes of lemon lime, caramel, black pepper, and brown sugar. It is delicious. You can pick up some of this coffee by going to lionsofliberty.com coffee. We have a way there on your first purchase. You can get 10% off, but if you join the Pride, for $10 and up, you can actually get more than that. You can get 15% off every single order. Buy some coffee, support the Lions of Liberty, support another great libertarian company as well. Everybody wins. Lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. Welcome to Felony Friday. A presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday, the only show that I know of where every single episode we focus on exposing injustice. And when I say we, I mean I, because I'm the only one on this show today. No guest. This is a solo show. So on this show, I'm be focused on exposing injustice in this broken criminal justice system. And Felony Friday is only one of three shows that we have here on this Lions of Liberty podcast network. We start every week with a show hosted by Mark Clare our flagship program, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement and also hosts roundtable discussions. You don't want to miss next Monday's episode. It is our, uh, what, I guess our third installment, third edition of the Liberty Draft. The Liberty Draft is a fun little thing we do with all the lines of liberty. We uh, gather around and we pick our favorites or maybe the uh, libertarians that we project to be Uh, the most impactful, especially looking towards the 2020 election. You don't want to miss that. It's a great episode. And uh, we actually have a special guest appearance from from Barry White. So you're not going to want to miss that. It's, It's entertaining. Barry White shows up. Every Wednesday, we have our show hosted by Brian McWilliams. It is called Electric Liberty Land. It's funny. It is crass. It's a little bit weird. Um, but you don't want to miss it because it is our weekly shot. It's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. Uh, make sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Just subscribe. Make sure you get all three of these unique shows uh, delivered to your little, little smartphone in your pocket 
every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so you don't miss a single episode. So let's uh, you know, let's get rolling in right into today's show. You know, I don't want to waste a lot of time. Ah, wait a minute, I forgot one thing, and this is important because I'm talking about a lot of crap today. There's a lot of stories in the news, and you know what? When I started out. Um, planning this show, I was like, I don't have a lot of time. Just a little background information here. This is, I'm recording this late on Thursday night, so to air, listen on Friday. This is the night before it uh, it airs, which is very rare. Normally, I record a while ahead of time, but it's just been a crazy couple weeks, and especially a crazy week this week. Um, every day has been jam-packed full, including today. Um, after work, had my daughter's dance recital, and uh, unfortunately... Um, missed the our Mufasa call, which is our monthly call with with our 25 and up patron members. So uh, sorry to you guys, just uh, a planning snafu on my end. I, I had the time wrong and uh, and got caught up in uh, yeah, I got caught up in life, which happens from time to time. But with all that being said, I planned on keeping this very short, but. I don't know. I kind of have a lot to talk about, so we'll see how that works. I wanted to keep it to a half hour. I don't think that's going to happen. So this is episode 178. Show notes page is at lionsofliberty.com slash FF178. Let's get started. Let's talk about Bobby Mueller. 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 Bueller. Let's talk about Bob Mueller. Let's talk about what the whole world is talking about. I just have to give my opinion on it uh, because it's a little bit annoying. And it's annoying listening to so many people who are so incredibly biased talking about this, all the talking heads on cable news, be it CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whatever it is, everyone has a uh, an, an agenda, of course. So let's lay out exactly what's happened here, which as you guys know, to quickly review, um, of course, Bob Mueller had his press conference uh, this past week where he basically said what was in the Mueller report. The one thing that was odd that has people going nuts, calling for, uh, has Democrats going nuts, calling for the impeachment of Donald Trump, is Mueller saying that if Trump had not committed a crime, that he would have said so in the report. Uh, I just have to speak on this because this is completely ridiculous, I think. I, I I don't even think this makes any sort of logical sense. And I know Rand Paul has uh, talked on this. Uh, Brian posted, I think, in our Lions of Liberty Forum, a recent interview that uh, that Rand Paul gave on Fox News. And Rand Paul went a little bit farther saying that Mueller doesn't understand our criminal justice system, which I think is not really true. I think he does understand it. I think he has other motivations for saying this. But by Bob Mueller saying saying that he doesn't think if he thought Trump had committed had not committed a crime, he would have said so. This doesn't make any sense. So Bob Mueller is a prosecutor. Prosecutors prosecute. That's what they do. They charge people, they indict, and then they get a conviction. They get a plea. And that's what they do. So there's never been a prosecutor ever. You know, I, I could be wrong. If some if I am wrong, please let me know. Please find evidence to this. Send me a link. Send me articles, whatever. You can go in the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook and do it. You can send me an email pers- personally, felonyfriday at lionsofliberty.com. You can send it to me on Twitter, at John Odermatt. Also, follow me on Twitter. I uh, am not active at all on Twitter, but if you follow me, maybe I'll start to be. Send it to any of those places. If you've ever heard of a prosecutor who, for example, maybe they've convened a grand jury 
to investigate some, you know, some sort of potential criminal activity. And they've brought in witnesses and they've gathered evidence and testimony and all this stuff. And after this entire grand jury, they put together this grand jury presentment and they said, well, we did all this and we found out that you are innocent. You're completely exonerated. You've done nothing wrong. And they issue this report and they say, you are you're a great person. You've done nothing wrong. You're free to go. Sorry for uh, wasting all these taxpayer dollars to do this investigation where we've exonerated you. That's never happened in the history of prosecution ever. So why, why the hell would it happen now? It's, it's, it's just incredibly insane that this is even, I, I guess I should stop because I know where, where Bob Mueller's head is um, making a comment like this. He is, I guess without going any farther, I should say where I got this idea from because it's not my original idea. I listen uh, pretty frequently to uh, the Scott Adams podcast where Scott Adams, a creator of Dilbert, obviously, more famous now for predicting Donald Trump winning and pointing out uh, Donald Trump's uh, persuasion. So uh, that's where the the 5D chess comes from and all that stuff, whatever. Not going to get into any of that stuff. Scott Adams pointed out that Bob Mueller basically is probably just very, very pissed off at Donald Trump for the way that he's hand, that he handled. And he basically turned around the Mueller report and used it as a weapon uh, to, uh, to beat his opponents on the head. Um, you know, Mueller puts all this time in, two years, all these resources. This is a distinguished man, Bob Mueller, who thinks very highly of himself and his work. And he issues his report, and Donald Trump comes out immediately and says, I'm, ex- I'm exonerated. I'm exonerated. Mueller's report has exonerated me of any, uh, of any criminal behavior, which is not true. That's definitely not true, because prosecutors don't exonerate. But I think what's happened is Mueller was so pissed off by that comment. That uh, is the really the engine, um, the motivation behind this press conference that we saw. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about this because I do have a lot of other stuff to talk about. But I think we're at interesting crossroads where we have all these Democrats on the left now using this latest press conference and uh, Mueller saying that if Trump had not committed a crime, he would have said so as justification for moving forward with impeachment because Mueller, Mueller said that the charges should come uh, from, you know, from Congress, which that's debatable. Bill Barr has said that's not necessarily true. Not going to get into that. But uh, I think it's interesting crossroads just to note because if the Democrats do move forward and try to or attempt to impeach or impeach Donald Trump, um, they are, there's no way that they're going to beat him. I mean, that's just, it's going to unify his base so solidly. I think it'll bring people in to uh, supporting Trump, seeing that this sort of uh, really, uh, really the Democrats just, just straight up, and it's kind of funny to use this word, straight up obstructing the government, obstruct, obstructing a president. Um, and I think it's gonna, it would backfire on them, which is why I think what you'll see is all of these Democratic candidates say, impeach, impeach, impeach. And knowing that the Democrats won't impeach and Nancy Pelosi will uh, basically, they're trusting on her not to impeach. And I, I really don't think she will. So we'll see what happens there. 
changing gears a little bit here, I wanted to talk about something that is very near and dear to my heart and probably a lot of your hearts out there, and that is the many people who are serving life in prison uh, for the completely nonviolent crime of selling marijuana. And there's probably a little misconception around uh, pot lifers, as we call them. And I've had uh, Beth Curtis on my show in the past, who uh, runs the website Life for Pot. I'll link to uh, that episode on the show notes page. I'll link to uh, her her blog as well that she runs, where she wrote a very passionate, heartfelt uh, blog post recently about these individuals who are still in prison serving life for pot. And the misconception, I think, with this is a lot of people think that with all the commutations that ha- that have happened, starting with uh, Barack Obama uh, back in 2014, and then continuing with the legislation of the First Step Act, which has not impacted pot lifers, has really impacted others in the criminal justice system um, who have drug crimes, but has not touched pot lifers. So the commutations by uh, Barack Obama's commutations, clemency, um, really, I think there was only one or no, there were, sorry, there were 11 pot lifers that had their sentences uh, commuted by President Obama. Um, one of them actually just got out this past week, a guy by the name of Paul Free, a nonviolent marijuana offender. He was given a life sentence without parole back in 1994. And what Obama essentially did is reduce that from a life sentence to 30 years. So he just got out and was released to a halfway house on April 29th, a month ago, uh, April 29th, 2019. So there's Paul Free and 10 others who, and I'm not sure if the other 10, what state they're in, if they've gotten out yet. I'm sure, I think some of them have, I'm, I'm sure. I don't have their names in front of me. Some of them are probably still in prison, but there's many more who are, who are still locked away, uh, observing time. And just to note a few of them, because I think it's important to get their names out there. Um, John Nock, who is actually Beth Curtis's brother, he's uh, in prison for life for selling marijuana. Uh, Craig Cecil, Michael, uh, Pelletier, Ishmael Lira, Farrell Scott, Corvain Cooper, Andy Cox, Calvin Robinson, Pedro Moreno, Hector Ruben McGurk, and there are many more. And uh, maybe I'll try to get a full list if I can and uh, add that to the show notes page if I can track that down. Um, if not, I, you know, I, I do want to talk about this more in future episodes, and I would love to bring on... Um, Paul Free as well, um, and hopefully some other some of these other pot lifers who have served these just obscene sentences for selling freaking marijuana. I mean, it's, it's just it's, it's ridiculous, completely, completely insane that uh, this is still going on, and there's still people in prison for life for selling marijuana. And actually, um, another prisoner who got out uh, recently here was Antonio uh, Bascaro, and he's another pot lifer. He was not impacted by Obama or the First Step Act. Uh, he actually just outlasted his term. And I misspoke. Not a pot lifer. He was only sentenced to, uh, I think, 50 years in prison. And he got out after serving 39. So this guy's 84 years old. Just got a, just got out of prison. And uh, he just outlived the uh, ridiculous sentence that... Uh, 
you know, that first time nonviolent marijuana offenders get. That's what they get, those bastards for selling a plant that grows in the ground. <laughs> 30 freaking nine years in prison. God, that's insane. Okay, so a touch of good news here, or at least positive uh, directional news. Uh, two senators, one senator that you're all very familiar with, uh, Rand Paul and uh, Ron Wyden. So a Republican and a Democrat, Wyden from Oregon, Rand Paul obviously from Kentucky. They reintroduced some legislation this week, and the legislation would bar the government from searching people's electronic devices at the border without a warrant. Uh, the act is called the Protecting Data at the Border Act, and it would bar law enforcement agencies from using a legal loophole um, that they've used for God knows how long um, in order to search phones, laptops, all, all kinds of any electronic device an American's carrying at the border. And a watchdog report last year showed that these uh, warrantless uh, searches of electronic devices are on the rise. Uh, in 2017, officers searched 50% more electronic devices in 2017 than in um, the year prior, 2016. So 2017, 29,000 devices among the 397 million travelers. And the previous year, it was 18,400 devices out of 390 million travelers. So it's obviously escalating up. Uh, I don't know what kind of chances this bill has. Probably not any chances at all. But it's good for discussion purposes, and that's why I'm discussing it here. Uh, so hopefully you guys share this with your friends. Most people don't understand that this happens. So let's talk about a little bit about what this exception is, how they're able to do this. What is the loophole? So there is a thing called the border search exception. Basically, what this says, what it's based on, is that um, you know they get around the Fourth Amendment, uh, you know, you know, Fourth Amendment saying no unreasonable searches or seizures, saying that because it is an international border, it is reasonable to search upon entrance um, into a, in, into the country, and this there's actual federal law that allows these federal agents to conduct searches and seizures within 100 miles within 100 miles of the border into the interior of the United States. And the Supreme Court has actually clearly and repeatedly confirmed that, uh, you know, this border search exception applies and is justified within 100 miles of the border. And this has been seen in such cases, cases as United States versus Martinez uh, Fuerte, uh, where it was held that the Border Patrol's routine of stopping a vehicle at a permanent checkpoint located on a major highway away from the Mexican border for brief questioning of the vehicle's occupants is consistent with the Fourth Amendment. However, roving searches of automobiles without a warrant uh, by roving patrols has been deemed unconstitutional. So, I mean, it's obviously great news this is brought up. You know, it's so... Our cell phones today, if you just think about... If someone's able to search your cell phone today, all of the information that is on there, um, I live my life through my cell phone. Almost everything that I do, everyone I interact with, every meeting I have, every phone call, every text message, every Facebook message, every Instagram post, everything I'm posting on Twitter, um, phone calls, which I do less and less phone calls, but 
all of that stuff is accept- all my banking information, you know, all, all everything I buy on Amazon, you know, <clears throat> all of this stuff is accessible through my cell phone. And they're able to search basically my life and pull that out. Why? Because I crossed an imaginary line. It, it's a complete insanity. And, you know, this is one of those things where if people out there, if the typical American citizen knew that this was able to happen, that you can literally go to cross the Mexican border or Canadian border and they can take your cell phone and do whatever they want with it. They can, you know, I'm sure they can plug it in or scan it with a program or God knows what. They uh, they can confiscate your cell phone and look through and do whatever the hell they want to. And that is just completely ridiculous. And I think that if you know everyday Americans knew about this, there would be an uprising. But this is one of those situations where, you know, CNN doesn't talk about this. Fox News doesn't talk about it. MSNBC doesn't talk about it. I mean, you'll get this... Uh, You'll get this in your major publications. You know, with the link I'm going to post to on the show notes page is from The Hill. So that's a pretty major internet resource. But, you know, who reads The Hill? People who are, you know, very much into policy. People who are either working on Capitol Hill or nerds like myself. So it's not going to get into the everyday Americans. And that's why it's not like anybody is going to not get reelected because they voted against this, you know? Um, they're not gonna. There's not gonna be town hall meetings protesting senators who didn't vote for this or didn't co-sponsor it. Uh, it's and, and that's ridiculous. That's completely ridiculous. This should be in of in and of itself a reason to uh, to not vote for a senator. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to not vote for a senator, but this this alone, I, I think I think would be one. I think it's justifiable. Let's move on. So we've talked about uh, Bob Mueller. We've talked about. All the people serving life for life for pot. We've talked about ridiculous uh, warrantless searches of electronic devices at the border, and let's talk about something good. You know, I mean, some refreshing news, uh, a good change for liberty in my mind, at least. I think there might be a little disagreement on this within even the Libertarian Party, but uh, New Hampshire has abolished the death penalty, and. You know, this might not seem like a big deal because New Hampshire has not executed anyone in 80 years. They only have one inmate currently on death row. But uh, they have actually, the 400-member House in New Hampshire has vetoed uh, the Republican governor, Chris Sununu. I think that's how you say his name. They have vetoed his bill to repeal capital punishment. So that's that, that's awesome. So this makes, with New Hampshire now, this is 21 states who have abolished or overturned the death penalty. And, you know, I, I said this might not seem like a big deal, but it is a big deal because the number is growing. We're almost at, you know, I can do math. We're almost at half. We're getting close to half of the states who don't have a death penalty, which I think is a fantastic thing. Um, you know, my reasons for opposing a death penalty, and I've had on... Uh, t- the past two representatives for conservatives against the death penalty, I think that's their organizational name, something like that. Um, you know, I've had on activists who are against the death penalty, and everyone sort of has had different reasons, different backstories of how they become to uh, come, how they became um, influenced to uh, be against uh, the state having the power to kill. And, you know, my I think my evolution on it. 
and I still do struggle with it when I see some cases, when I see something super violent, when I see someone who kills a child or <clears throat> just some does something abhorrent. You know, it, it's hard, and I do kind of second guess myself. But morally, it, it's uh, I, I just don't think it's right for humans to have the ability to have have that in their judicial system where they can kill someone. You know, that's the ultimate penalty you can't come back from. You cannot come back from death, at least not yet. <clears throat> so in giving, you know, killing your fellow man, no matter how abhorrent the crime, I'm thinking that there is not any sort of semblance of positivity that they contribute to this world. I think it's kind of ridiculous. You know, I, I, it's very ridiculous and it's dangerous. And so that's uh, the moral reasons. And also, I'm a Christian. And, you know, I don't think it's right for Christians to be to support using state force to uh, to kill murderers or, or rapists or, or whatever. No matter how no matter how abhorrent the crime, you know, I think it's important really to utilize forgiveness as much as possible. As hard as that is, it's easy for me to say that, but I know people you know, who have suffered the crimes at the hands of people and had their loved ones or, you know, family, friends suffer. That, that's very, I'm sure, I, I don't doubt that that's very hard not to want to use capital punishment. But I, I think it's dangerous because so many times we've seen, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there are so many times that people are exonerated uh, from being on death row, uh, either with DNA evidence or you know some sort of for forensic evidence or something like that, being discovered later, just so there's a chance that you could execute one innocent person, I think is enough to not have a death penalty. So, you know, that's 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 the way I feel about that. Things are trending in the right direction. Will we ever get to, uh, you know, a complete totality of U.S. states? abolishing the death penalty? Probably not. There's probably always going to be you know, a handful that, that'll have a death penalty just because that's the way some of these states are. That's the way some of the, the electorate are in that state. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know. In my lifetime, <clears throat> we'll probably not get to that point. But uh, it's a good trend, and uh, I think we're moving in the right direction. Ross Ulbricht is serving a double life sentence without parole for all nonviolent charges. He is a first-time offender, and no victims were named at trial. Ross is condemned to die in a cage because he made a website called Silk Road that allowed people to exchange what they chose using Bitcoin as long as no third party was harmed. Please help. Sign and share the petition at freeross.org to commute Ross's sentence and bring him home. So I kind of want to talk about next, just a, just a weird story. I like to throw in some weird stories every once in a while, just keep you on your toes. And actually, this is just something I saw in, <clears throat> excuse me, my throat keeps getting so dry. I'm drinking water over here. I don't know if you can hear me trying to clear my throat and uh, drink some water quickly, but I don't know why my throat is getting so dry. I'm not used to talking this much constantly and do a microphone. Normally, I'm asking questions and uh, it's more of a back and forth, but uh, I actually enjoy these solo shows, episodes like this. You know, I really don't enjoy talking a lot, like, giving presentations or speeches in front of people, things like that. But I like talking into a microphone. You know why? Because nobody can interrupt me. Nobody can, uh, you know, there's no pressure or anything like that. I can just talk. You know, I'm not going to get, you know, weird people in the front row looking at me 
cross-eyed or something when I say something. I just go. I talk. If you're looking at me crossed as, as you're listening to this, then, oh, well, sorry. Listen to something else. So I, I do want to talk about this weird story. I think Howie sent this out in his news links. Our news links go out to all of our patron members, $15 and up. You can join our patron by going to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. And what this story is, there was it's just so crazy. And you got to go to the show notes page uh, for this show and look at the guy's picture in this because the perpetrator here has the most ridiculous shit-eating grin on his face. And after you're going to hear about right here, you're going to hear about what he did. And to have a grin on your face, this guy is completely 100% psychotic. And it makes me wonder how anybody can hate their brother-in-law as much as this guy hates his brother-in-law. So what happened here, this is a wedding uh, in North Carolina. After multiple disagreements with his new brother-in-law, this is a groom, was shot. His brother-in-law shot. (laughs) So this is a guy. So the brother-in-law is, uh, this groom is marrying his sister, right? So the brother-in-law reportedly shoots this groom, is accused, alleged, of shooting the groom in both of his legs after the wedding ceremony. So what's the reason for that? Why would the brother-in-law get so upset and shoot this groom in both of his legs? It's funny I can laugh at it because the guy lived and I think he's going to be okay. But the the brother-in-law's name is Michael Ray Macy. It's a good North Carolina name. And he also allegedly struck the groom in the face um, with his handgun. The groom's name is Kenneth Mills. So the reason why this Michael Ray Macy was so upset is because the groom, Kenneth Mills, told him, hey, man, uh, you can't bring your dog to the wedding. And Mills shows up with his dog to the wedding. So the groom says, hey, get your, or sorry, Macy shows up with his dog to the wedding. And Mills says, hey, get your dog out of here. You can't bring your friggin' dog to my wedding. And then he has the audacity also to say, I guess this uh, Michael Ray Macy, the brother-in-law, he had a little job. He was supposed to paint, you know, on the back of the back of the newlyweds truck. Supposed to paint just married, maybe put some bells and and balloons on there and all that good stuff, which it didn't happen. And the groom was mad about that too. Brought that up. He's pissed off. <laughs> the brother-in-law gets so mad that he later in the day after the wedding. He, well, he goes home, he gets his gun, he goes to the brother-in-law's house, hits him in the head with a gun, and shoots him in both legs. <laughs> because this guy said, you can't bring your dog to my wedding, and you didn't paint, you know, you, you didn't paint just married on the back of my truck. I'm pretty sure there might be a country song in there somewhere. There's a hit. We'll see if, uh, I don't know, we'll see if somebody runs with that one. I would. I would. Maybe uh, maybe Brian McWilliams can put together a, a good country song about that one. That's just a, a wonderful story. And we can laugh about it because nobody died. So when if there's gun violence and nobody dies, it's okay to laugh. That's the first rule of gun violence. Okay, moving on to our next story here. And this is a positive story. It's got a little, little twist to it, but... You know, overall, this is this is a good story, or at least it's turning into a good story, I should say. So, a former inmate, Markel Taylor, who was released from prison 
and he runs the Boston Marathon. You might be wondering, how does a guy who was in prison, just released, <clears throat> how was he able to run a marathon? How was he able to train? How did he pull this off? That's what I was wondering. Well, little did I know that inmates, especially, and he was in San Quentin, in fact, he's known as the Gazelle of San Quentin, which is a fucking cool name to have. Um, they run marathons in prison. So there's a running group, and they'll train up, and, and they'll run a marathon inside the prison. So what do they do? They have laps around the uh, the prison yard there. And 105 laps around is 26.2 miles, and they got a marathon. So while he was in prison... He actually qualified for the Boston Marathon. He ran a marathon in three hours and 10 minutes, which I am not a marathon runner, but that sounds very fast to me. Um, It would probably take me much, much longer to run a marathon if I ever wanted to, which I don't. Qualifies for Boston, runs Boston, PR three hours and three minutes. This was in rainy and humid conditions and not a good day to run a marathon. So it's a good story. And, uh, the uh, so so Mark Hal Taylor says that the reason he started running was uh, actually he had a, a friend in prison who uh, you know had a parole had parole denied and took it really hard and committed suicide and it helped him to deal with uh, you know the stress and anxiety f- from that and also from the reason that he was was in prison. And this is extremely, extremely sad. Uh, So he's in prison for a terrible, I mean, one of the worst reasons I can think about for somebody to be in prison is uh, it was was a murder charge, second degree murder. He punched his uh, pregnant girlfriend in the stomach, which killed their their child. Um, Just absolutely terrible. He was sentenced to, that was back in 2002, he was sentenced to 15 years. Uh, 15 years to life in prison, and obviously ended up serving, what, 17 years uh, and getting out. And a lot of people will say, well, he, he shouldn't have gotten out of prison. He should still be in prison. And the fact of the matter is people get out of prison. Um, people get out of prison who do even worse things than this. And this is why it's important to have a prison system, a criminal justice system, that actually rehabilitates people. It gives them an opportunity uh, to grow and to push themselves and to change, change their behavior, change their mindset, um, gain, gain some confidence, gain some skills. And you know, one of one great way that this guy has gained confidence and he's dealing with his own past and things that he's encountered while in prison is by running. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I think that's uh, you know, people might look at this and say. You know, this guy shouldn't be out of prison. He committed a terrible crime. He's out. And he was sentenced. He served his sentence and, uh, and got out in, uh, in 17 years. So people are, most people get out of prison. Unless you're in prison for selling marijuana, then you don't get out, ever. So people are going to get out. So when they do get out, no matter what their crime was, the reason why they're in there, don't you want them to be rehabilitated? Don't you want them to be mentally stable? Don't you want them to have a good opportunity to uh, land a job, to find success, to contribute value to society? I do. Really, it comes down to being a public safety issue. I want people like uh, like Markel Taylor to come out of prison 
and have a passion for running, have a passion for something, a passion uh, to help people. And a, a quote from Taylor, he says, whenever I run, uh, I try to show honor and respect for my victims. I feel the only way to make amends in my own heart is to run every mile, every yard, every inch, dedicating it to those I've hurt. Every marathon I run next will have that same mission. I think that's a, I think that's a great thing. Just wanted to to share some, uh, I don't know, some something positive. I think um, coming out of the criminal justice system. Lastly. Let's turn the page to some international news here. And, you know, I did talk about uh, Brazil a little while ago, uh, a little while, many episodes ago. And, of course, Brazil elected a very controversial um, leader from the far, the far right, President uh, Jair Bolsonaro. And he's elected, you know, there, when he was brought to power, there's there's a lot of fears that um, that he's racist, that he's anti-LGBT, all this stuff. So now that he's in power, uh, the Supreme Court in Brazil has... Uh, oh, I, I should I, This isn't final yet. I guess I should say the majority of Brazil's Supreme Court has already voted to make homophobia and transphobia a crime, like racism, because racism is a crime in, in Brazil. And this decision is basically entirely uh, it's out of fear for what, uh, what Bolsonaro could do. So racism was declared a crime in Brazil in 1989. And there's prison sentences of up to five years uh, for racism in Brazil. And the court's judges ruled that homophobia should be framed within this same racism law until Brazil's Congress approves legislation that specifically... Um, outlines uh, the punitive criminal uh, uh, punishments for uh, LGBT discrimination. So my take on this, you know, obviously I don't think discrimination, I don't think racism, you know, racism is a bad thing. It's terrible. It, it's abhorrent. It's, uh, it's not going to help anybody. It's not going to help the person who is racist um, it's not going to help the person who is the target, the victim of the racism. And just like that, um, you know, people who are anti-LGBT, um, having that attitude is not going to help them. It's not going to give them a better life. And it's certainly not helping the person that they're, uh, that they're victimizing. Now, with that being said, what does a law do? So you start to, uh, you start to, to penalize it, um, does that make it go away? Does that mean the people who are racist, who are anti-gay or anti-trans or any of that stuff, does that mean that all of a sudden they will change? They'll say, oh, there's a law here. I have to change my mindset. I have to change the way I think. I have to change my internal bias. No, it doesn't change that. All it's going to do is fracture society more so. Um, it's going to drive that behavior, like any black market, into the back alleys of society. Personally, I feel, in a more free society, um, that if those things are out in the open, it's easier to uh, to change people's minds on it. Uh, that's one of the reasons for the uh, First Amendment. When you have these things out in the open, and they can be debated, 
Um, if you have, a, for example, someone who owns a restaurant is an anti-Semite or who is a, uh, a racist or who, whatever, is, is anti-gay. If you have somebody like that and they're vocal about it, the restaurant will go out of business. In today's day and age, that restaurant will go out of business. I think that's safe to say anywhere in the United States that would happen. With the with the influence of social media and the way the news cycle is today, restaurants can't, can't survive that. Uh, people just won't go there um, for a couple of reasons. Number one reason is a lot of people agree with me and think it's abhorrent behavior. They think it's despicable and they think it's 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 bad and there's no there's no benefit to that behavior. It's bad for society. It's bad for everyone involved. But also, also, even people who might be a little bit racist or might be a little bit anti-gay, um, they're not going to want to go there either because they don't want to be associated with the uh, with the cultural the the black mark that would be associated with them walking in there. So it's, it almost starts to change those biases internally. It starts to change the way people think. When you start thinking about the way that you're perceived, that the way that your actions are perceived, and you start to understand that your actions have consequences, um, that changes the way people think. And that, you know, that's a big part of growing up. Um, to compare this to like, like teenagers, teenagers do not understand that actions have consequences a lot of the times. I'm not just saying that I was the same way when I was a teenager. I really don't think I fully understood uh, <laughs> fully understood the consequences of my actions until I was probably 30 years old. <laughs> but it, this really goes into a lot of stuff going around today in social media where you have people being banned from social media for something they tweeted out when they were 16. Now they're 20 or they're 30 or, or, or whatever. Um don't we want people to to get better, to change, to uh, to start to understand that these opinions, these controversial opinions, have a uh, they have an impact, they have a consequence, and holding them when, especially when you're starting to realize holding this opinion and you're feeling heat for it, like that restaurant owner or or whoever, anybody who is. Uh, vocally speaking out on social media and this yeah goes speak about speak about people who are even speaking hate hate speech on social media who are not being censored those people if, if they get real heat or they're getting really debated if their voices are allowed to be heard which i think they should be allowed to be heard and they should be allowed to be confronted if you allow that to happen you're going to get real debate and you're going to get those people's followers, those people who are sort of, you know, looking to these uh, very hateful characters, these uh, these racist characters, their audience who's looking to them for guidance. If you give them that platform and you let them be debated and you let uh, people poke holes in, in the way that they think and show the flaws, the hate, the uh, the path to nowhere in the way that they think, in the abhorrent way that they think, um, you start to lose that following. You lose the power. You expose something to sunlight, it loses power. You put it in the shadows, it gets stronger. Because those individuals, those hate leaders, 
are then able to say, see, there's a reason that they're suppressing this speech. There's a reason they're doing it. It's true. It's this. It's that. It gives it some sort of power. If you bring it out in the sunlight, you expose it to daylight, it's going to burn out. And that's uh, that's what we need to do. And uh, unfortunately, Brazil is doing the opposite. And more and more, we're doing the opposite in this country. More and more across the board, across the board, they're doing the opposite. There was an article posted in the Alliance of Liberty Forum uh, this past week. And you know, I've seen a couple articles like this where in the UK, the police there are getting very upset with individuals who are making fun of their ridiculously stupid drug busts. You know those drug busts you'll see on social media where there's like four cops standing around two joints and a bong with their arms crossed and a shotgun in hand, something like that. And the people are making fun of it. They're sharing it and they're making memes out of it, making fun of these police officers. And in the UK, they're making threats of actually criminalizing this. Uh, they're already, you know, banning people from social media for for, or they're banning people from their social media pages, things like that. So they can't, so they can't make fun of them. But uh, it's it's just ridiculous. Um, you know, I think, and honestly, I think one of the reasons why, as a culture, we're starting to change in the way that we look at drugs is. Uh, it, it, the story is there's more context to the story. Um, we're starting to understand that one of the, I mean, I think obviously libertarians understand this, but I think as a society, we're starting to understand that this criminalization of drugs is feeding the violence, is making the drugs more dangerous, is it's not helping in in any way. So. I think we're close to uh, to taking a step forward there, and you know I hope that you know I, I it's it's hard to say what direction uh, this country is going to go in, and when it comes you know I should say the direction this country is going to go in when it comes to things like what's happening in Brazil will will similar things happen here? Will we see you know more formal um, laws against? hate speech and online hate speech and, and, and things like that and expansion of, of what hate speech is, you know, I don't know if we'll see it from government decree or government law or anything like that, but I think we are, we are seeing it obviously from the social media companies and there's a lot of libertarians out there that say, well, they're private companies. They can regulate as they wish to blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, these social media companies are so huge and so entwined in society um, and taking government money and helping to write uh, the, the regulations that, uh, that regulate them, helping to write the legislation that regulates them, I should say, <clears throat> they're basically becoming an arm of the government. And especially with the big ones, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, People don't understand how powerful those algorithms are. Um, essentially, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they control what you see. They control uh, what political news you get, uh, how it's couched, what, what the angle is. Um, just by changing the algorithm, they can completely change your day. You know, They can show you stories of... Uh, grief and despair and violence and, and horrible things. And they can put a cloud over your day or 
through changing the algorithm, they can show you more positive things, more uplifting things. And of course, there's things that you can do on your own still to tweak your algorithm. I'm not going to get into that here. But I think it's important to point out how much that our own feelings and emotions are really dictated by what we see on social media. Obviously, we know the news is the news, and that's all, you know, the, the mainstream media is, is, is lost. But social media is going that same way. That's why shows like this podcast are, are, are so important. So I said I was going to keep this show to a half hour, and that did not happen. Going on 45 minutes. And I'm going to cut it right there, guys. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this solo show. If you did, please let me know. Shoot me an email, felonyfriday at lionsofliberty.com. Get at me on Twitter, at John Odermatt, at Instagram, at John Odermatt, or just uh, reach out to me on Facebook. Or track me down in the Lions of Liberty forum. You can find that on Facebook by going to Facebook, typing Lions of Liberty forum in the search bar at the top, and uh, clicking on it and joining And as long as you're a real person and you have a profile picture and you answer our one question asking how you found us, you can say, I found you from John talking about you on the podcast. We'll we'll get you in immediately. If you don't answer the question, we might not let you in unless you really look like a real person. And we have some mutual friends, maybe then I probably still let you in, but just answer the question. It's not that hard. All right, guys, that's all I got for today. Thank you so much for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. Burning.